The following KQED production was produced in high definition. December 26, 2004. A massive tsunami is set on a collision course across the Indian Ocean. When it slams into the coastline, the force of the wave wipes entire communities off the map. Even today, it's hard to comprehend the sheer devastation and the immense loss of life. In Indonesia, there was uh, 150,000 or so people lost their lives. Even in Sri Lanka, which was more than 1,000 miles away, there were 36,000 people who lost their life. All told, almost a quarter of a million people. A real tragedy. Bruce Jaffe is a tsunami expert at the U.S. Geological Survey in Santa Cruz, California. Soon after the waters receded, Jaffe and his team traveled to Indonesia to study the aftermath with the hope of better understanding when and where other big tsunamis may occur. Tsunamis are waves generated by abrupt vertical movement of the seafloor caused by earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, landslides, or even an asteroid impact. This animation shows the birth of the 2004 tsunami with a magnitude 9.1 earthquake deep within the ocean floor off Indonesia. Here the earthquake is propagating and then when you put the water on it, all the water does is, is mimics the deformation on the seafloor. So that creates the tsunami wave. In some places, the resulting wave reaches 100 feet high when it strikes land. This video is taken in, in Banda Aceh, the capital of the Aceh province of Sumatra. The tsunami was maybe 30 feet high. In the other parts of Sumatra, to, to the south, uh, the tsunami was 100 feet high. No one was able to take video because the tsunami was so large they were running for their lives. The tsunami's effects are catastrophic. But for geologists, this tragedy provides a rare opportunity. The sand left behind by the wave reads like a Rosetta Stone, unlocking a code to better understanding this deadly phenomenon. Well, after the water has gone away, the, the sand is left behind. And so it's a record, it's a calling card, if you will, of the tsunami. Big tsunamis throw tons of sediment onto shore. The larger grains of sand settle first, with the lighter sediment coming to rest after. This creates a sand layer that leaves a telltale tsunami fingerprint. When you find multiple deposits that were formed many years apart, you can start looking at what the, the hazard is in an area. How often has that area been hit? You can start estimating on when that area might be hit again. Since a major tsunami may only strike a region every few hundred years, these studies help researchers locate possible hazard areas with little or no other recorded tsunami history. The best places to start are regions that have a lot of geologic activity, and the Pacific coast of North America is no stranger to earthquakes. The Pacific is sort of one big hotspot. We've got trenches almost completely around the Pacific, and it has to do with plate boundaries. 
For hundreds of millions of years, the plates or rocky slabs that make up the Earth's outer crust known as the lithosphere have moved around the globe in a process called plate tectonics. Over time, the pulling apart and crashing together of plates form the continents and oceans, as well as island chains, mountain ranges, and other features around the globe. Sometimes, when two plates collide, one is pushed under the other, creating areas called subduction zones. Normally, plates move just centimeters per year, but occasionally they move rapidly in one large snap. This violent movement creates big earthquakes, and that can spell trouble along the coastline. If you look at what happened in the Indian Ocean, it was 600 miles long and 200 miles deep, though that whole slab has to rip and break. So one slab pulling the other slab down, it rebounds, huge amount of energy. That's a lot of water to displace. The same thing can happen in the Pacific Northwest, where the Juan de Fuca plate plunges beneath the North American plate, forming the Cascadia subduction zone. In a bit of detective work, scientists studying sand deposits and other clues deduced that the last major rupture here occurred in 1700, sending an enormous tsunami crashing onto shores across the Pacific. Researchers predict it will happen again. I think we're going to see some significant damage when and if, well, I shouldn't say if, when Cascadia ruptures again. It's been 300 years. Average occurrence intervals around 300 years or so. Could happen any time, it might not be for another 100 years. So how do you get ready for that? <laughs> 45 years ago, the citizens of Crescent City, California, couldn't have been prepared for what was coming. March 27, 1964, an earthquake off the coast of Alaska sends a tsunami hurtling towards the Pacific coast. A 20-foot wave inundates Crescent City, destroying 30 city blocks and killing 11 people. Orville Magoon from the Army Corps of Engineers was one of the first to officially survey the damage. Crescent City, of course, was absolutely devastating. So we saw the first thing was the failure of walls that were not adequately fastened to the structure. We also saw large areas where entire buildings floated. There was a gentleman, he, I guess he'd had what he called a wingding the night before. And he woke up in the morning and he looked out and he said, wow, his house had lifted and floated away with him in it and he didn't even know it. So you, you get structures moving and there were a number of instances where debris smashed things and of course a number of lives were lost. To avoid repeating hard lessons of the past, Magoon is now focusing on low-lying areas around San Francisco Bay like Treasure Island and Oakland Harbor. This is a very important issue for all of us in the Bay Area. We need to think of our planning, how we plan for this, how do we retrofit for the existing structures, and how we plan for new structures. It's hard to plan for an event that may only happen once every 300 years, but the State Office of Emergency Services and NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, have established tsunami warning zones along the California coast. These zones are based on a maximum possible wave height of 42 feet. Tsunamis do occur. We've had them along the coast here. San Francisco, we've had them in the bay. So yes, uh, they are a real threat. They are rare to have damaging tsunamis, but when they do occur, those damaging tsunamis can be devastating. 
So a warning system in place is very necessary. The warning system starts with NOAA's Deep Ocean Assessment and Reporting of Tsunamis Program, or DART. What we have here is the DART system, the buoy that sits on top of the water. You have the pressure sensor that will measure the pressure of the water above it. If it picks up a long period wave, being a possible tsunami, it will then transmit the information to this buoy. The buoy will then send it to a satellite, and then the satellite sends it to the warning centers. DART buoy stations ring the Pacific, relaying vital information to warning centers in Hawaii and Alaska. If a tsunami does strike, they quickly sound the alarm. Now, a tsunami will actually uh, travel at hundreds of miles per hour. When a warning is issued, or if you feel an earthquake that knocks you off your feet, you need to get away from the coast. You need to go inland into higher ground. While major tsunamis hitting the coast of California are historically infrequent, researchers warn that the moment we forget the past and leave our guard down is the time we invite disaster. Nature is very powerful and we have to respect it. We can love watching it, but we have to respect it. If we don't respect it, that's when it comes and gets us.